Blog Talk Radio. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again We are exploding, the world is gonna know it We'll rock it like you're never gonna see us again Come on Fabulous, sir. Excited, as always, to be a part of the greatest show on radio. I don't care what you listen to. I don't care how many people listen. I don't care the fact that nobody is listening to us right now. The fact of the matter is this is the greatest show ever. And, folks, as always, if you'd like to check us out and look at, listen to episodes from, like, six or eight months ago, possibly a year, check out puregoldpg.com. Joe, it's up and running. I got it fixed. I know we had a problem with it last time. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of the show, give us a call at 929-477-2593. And what the hell is that? What kind of number is that? Or 877-633-9003. That sounds more of like a legitimate, you know, number for you to call instead of this garbage. But anyway, sir, uh, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, before I uh, get into my rundown, and uh, I want to break the fourth wall here and ask you um, right here in front of, um, you know, the millions and millions of people listening on the show, um, do I have to give you any money to re-up the show? I don't want to lose these episodes. I'm pretty sure you do. I actually have to check. Um, I'm pretty sure we're either overdue or close to overdue, and I'm not working. So, But I think it's only like – I think it's a minimal amount. I think the website we re-upped it last year, I think it's just like 15 bucks or something, something really you know insignificant, which we'll probably be paying for the rest of our lives. Yeah, well, well, whatever it is, I will take care of it as usual because um, we need to keep this You're up and running. You're missing money, bags, of course. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, look at you, you. Look at the Pure Gold Studios that I'm in. I mean, you know that I'm I'm Mr. Moneybag. So, uh, so let's get with the rundown, shall we, sir? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's yeah, let's talk about the rundown. I have a lot to talk about, and um, oh, let's get to it. Do. We got we got the Mets um, shockingly making the move of the uh, the year, probably uh, the move of the last thirty years, re-signing a person that they re- they needed badly, even though. You know, we didn't want this guy long term. They did. They did exactly what we wanted. I don't know. If, I, I get the feeling that the Wilpons actually listened to us or flips on uh, Connecticut School of Broadcasting. The Wilpons, so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the, sure the, the, the Wilpons listen Yeah, I'm sure they do. Late at night, I mean, when they're you know eating their their um, their crackers and their Manischewitz wine, I'm sure they are listening to us. So we'll, <laughs> well talk let's not about go them. there, please. please. Okay, we won't go there. <laughs> we'll talk about the. Um, the WWE, unfortunately, because we are crackheads to it. The road to WrestleMania has begun with the Royal Rumble, which was two nights ago, and we'll talk about Raw, which was absolutely horrible, I thought. We'll evaluate. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> we'll talk about the NFL Championship games this were past, this past Sunday. Um, surprisingly in one game and uh, surprising in another game in a different way. We'll talk about what's wrong with the NBA, as usual, because there's something definitely wrong with the NBA, and 
If we're going to be talking about the NBA, we might as well talk about something wrong with the, with life in general, wait, with the Oscars. Wait, we're talking uh, basketball? Since when do we talk basketball on this show? Yeah, that's how bad it's gotten with the NBA. I want to talk about this one hot button topic that I'm sure you know where, oh, where okay. I'm going with I it. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we, do, we do have to talk about that. You're right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. And if we're going to talk about that, we might as well talk about everything and anything and just get our take on the Oscars and all that crap that's going on oh, in life. Geez, the Oscars. I'm, I'm going to boycott this show if you keep going. And we'll also talk about Mike Francesa and how he's retiring in 2017, which makes room for probably us to take his time slot. <laughs> um, you know, to well, definitely we, warm that yeah, up listen, for us. If you, if you quit your job or if you get your schedule arranged, we could definitely do a show from, you know, 1 to 5 or 1 to 6. I mean, we won't be on WFM, <laughs> but we can always do it on Blog Talk. I mean, you know, every day, five days a week, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if Joe and Evan could fill that slot nicely. I think that they need something fresh like us. So, um, you know, they got to look out because there's some competition after Mike retires. So. But, um, oh, of course. You know, that's my, that, that's my rundown. And um, not to not to say that the rundown is important and there's a lot to talk about, but um, I know that you uh, spent the day serving your country the only way you could. Um, what did you do today, sir? I'm just curious. You really want to? You really want to go there? You want to? You want to talk about what I did? What I did? I do. Yeah, let's I, I, talk about what I, I, I did. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, is that when we're starting? Are we actually starting the show with that, or are you just asking me what we did so we can talk about it at some point? No, I, I'd like to talk about it now because, in the hopes that maybe we could get the, the guest that you're trying to get on. So. Well, see, there's a, that's a yes, by the way, on the guest. We just have to wait a little while. Okay. Uh, I'd say about thirty minutes. Thirty minutes or so. But uh, today, I like the great American that I am. Um, I went out and I fulfilled, well, half fulfilled my civic duty. And for the first time in my 34, almost 35 years of life, I was summoned. Well, I was I was actually summoned for jury duty. I've gotten notices and stuff. And, uh, you know, I've always gotten out of it. And the funny thing about that is this episode of this episode of Pure Gold, this, this episode of me going to, um, you know, Jury duty was something that, you know, when I was working a few months ago, I had asked to have it postponed because of work. That incident of jury duty actually ended up, you know, where I didn't have to go in, and I got hosed this time, so I didn't have to go in for jury duty. Um, and the funny thing is, I'm there all day, right? We're just sitting there, this guy's making terrible jokes in the wonderful municipality of Jersey City, one of my favorite towns, by the way. And um, so I go in there, you know, I'm waiting all day long. My battery's dying. I'm trying to charge. Charger's not working. I mean, if you know anything about me, it's an absolute nightmare, by the way, just playing games on my phone. And, um, you know, they, they had a couple of times, a couple of calls where this guy gets up on the mic and cuts a, 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 a I'd say a tweener promo, not really heel, but not really face. And he makes some yeah. terrible jokes, and, the, you know, the crowd is into it. So anyway, um, I get this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I just knew the third time I knew it, I was going to get called, and eventually I did. And it's funny because I wasn't even paying attention to which judge or where to go, so I ended up almost walking into the wrong courtroom and probably getting shot and or arrested, so who knows. But anyway, you nice. go in there, and there's there's got to be at least 100 people, at least, maybe 500. I can't even tell. I mean, this is like, this looks like a TNA show. That's how many people there were. Um, or an XC show, whichever you want, however you want to cut that. So um, I'm in the juror box, actually, you know, where the jury sits and whatnot, and my number gets this. Take a wild guess what my juror number is. You're going to love this, by the way. High five. <laughs> uh, this is the part where you take a guess, sir. Take a guess at what my number was. I, yeah, I just gave it to you. High five. No, not high five. Something more, uh, I think you, you, 
if, if this was you and not me, this would actually be apropos. So just, just take a stab at it. Not, not five, oh, you're not definitely nine, five. Num- you were definitely number two because I'm definitely number one. <laughs> not even close. I was number <laughs> six, six, six. Oh, that geez. is my jury number, 660. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I gotta love it, by the way. Um, which my mother in law was like freaking out about, but that's a whole other side story. Um, so I looked at <laughs> I'm number 666. I think I'm the last one there. I don't even know because there was not 600 people. But they start calling people in, a, in a numerical order. They get through about three people. I don't even get into the courtroom. Court's over at four, by the way. I don't even get into the court till like three something. And by the time they went through like two or three people, they dismissed someone. So at the end of it all, I have to come back tomorrow. But instead of spending the entire day there, I get, I get to go from one thirty and go straight to the court, which isn't so bad. But my number being what it is, I have no no qualms, no doubt that I'm not going to get picked because, you know, they have about 100 people again in this room, but they only need two or three people. So I'm pretty sure that my number is not going to get called, sir. Oh, uh, is that all? Is that all? Yeah, that's it, sir. What? <laughs> Have you ever been summoned for jury duty? You degenerate. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been summoned. Uh, I mean, the one time I was summoned for jury duty, and one time I'm I'm trying to find some wood here to knock on, but this is all a like brick down here. Um, the only time I was ever summoned for jury duty, I don't know if you remember, but I believe John F. Kennedy Jr. His plane was found. Um, he had died that day, and they um, the, the plane was found in the ocean. And um, I don't know if you remember that that day many, 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 many years ago. Wait, say that again? Do you remember John F. Kennedy Jr. when they found his plane and he died because it crashed? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the day I had jury duty, and I remember watching that the whole time. And not basically everybody did get called around uh, in the, the the room where they you know the waiting area. Everybody got called except probably me and like three other people. And they said that if you haven't been called, then you're you're done for the day. You've served your country. And um, I walked out. That I never actually went on a case. Yeah, this is um, – um, I doubt again that I'm going to get called, but what gets me about the whole situation is the fact that, you know, there's all these people. It's just a big old mess. I'm, again, I'm in Jersey City, which is an absolute scum hole to begin with, so let me just throw that yeah. out there. Uh, I actually felt like a degenerate, not the ex, but worse, an actual low-life degenerate just being in that, that jury selection room. And, uh, you know, so this is going to be all kinds of heel heat because this is probably the first heel promo I've ever cut. Uh, in my life, but it was it was not a fun experience, and I mean, it just it seems like a waste of time, but at the same time, you know, hearing the judges talk about how important jury duty is, and, you know, the, your civic duty, et cetera, et cetera, and how our whole system of government, which is flawed to say the least, but, you know, it's all based on this, and jury of your peers, et cetera, et cetera, so, see, my whole thing is, no matter what, I'm I'm voting guilty, you know, if I get picked, don't care who it is, don't care what it is. They explain the case, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, and I think the person's guilty. I absolutely think they're guilty, and they should get life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death penalty. What do you think about that, sir? Yeah, the best way to sum up the jury duty process and the entire government is basically... Mistake! I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can say. But I had, I I had to get that out. Be- yeah, I definitely had to get that out because, you know, when you serve the uh, your country and... Um, we honor your your you know serving your country and all that good crap. Um, <laughs> the reason, 
it's a good segue because you, uh, we honor serving your country, you know, and you, you got to serve your country. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great segue. You, you can see why we've been picked up by so many different radio stations, and we've had to turn offers down and leave. It's just like Giannis Hespedes, leave a lot of money on the table with this show because of uh, these types of conversations. I mean, I definitely never want to. And we uh, out of your home. Yeah. Never want to leave there. So. Oh, of course. I mean, if we, if we were to... even able to do I mean, it would be a total disaster. I think Mike uh, actually said he's planning on retiring full-time on 2017, and he wants to come on to our show as producer and just play these sound bites that we've probably illegally taken from him and used on our show. Oh, so, sure. um, you know, he wants yeah, to come I'm pretty on. Sure that, uh, I'm pretty sure Mike has no interest in us ever again, sir. Yeah, maybe you're right. But, you know, before, I mean, because we're we're working on a guest, uh, we will talk about wrestling and all the other stuff, football, um, all that good stuff, because we've got plenty of time, and I just feel like talking about everything and anything. Today's a great night. I feel like it's Christmas a month later with the uh, signing of um, the player that we needed, I think, to, to get to, to, to the promised land, if you will. But you also, you talked about scum of the world, and I know it's it's building inside, and I know that like a lot of people have jumped on you on this, and um, I fully support you because I'm your you know co-host, and uh, we've been doing this for so many years. But I, I I think it's you need to also do a public announcement to everybody that's listening out there, uh, and let them know that yes, there was a snowstorm this past Sunday, and there was a lot of snow apparently, <laughs> but you know apparently allegedly. And I know that we've had this conversation on Pure Gold. If we are, if we look through the archives and we have our producer, if Kelly's still up, she could look it up. Uh, if not, uh, we'll have to look it up ourselves. But yes, I, I guarantee we've talked about this. I know that we've talked about it on the air, about people feeling entitled oh, that they dig out their own spot on the street, by the way, which is not owned by them, and feeling like they could put a cone, a chair, a garbage can, anything to say that this is their spot because they dug it out and it's their spot forever and ever. Sir, I mean, I know it's it's building up, so let's just get it out. Give us your your take on it, and then we'll get on with the show. Well, yeah, I mean, we could do a whole hour on this, to be honest. I just want to talk about the absolute degenerate population out there. And I know this is a touchy subject because a lot a lot of people tend to you know think that they're okay with doing this. And I, I finally was able to figure a way to absolutely annihilate, obliterate, and destroy any and all arguments on this. And I have come up with the ultimate. You know, checkmate, as it were. What's the the reason that people always say that they feel entitled to a spot? What is it, sir? What's the actual reasoning? Well, the actual reasoning is that in terms of bad weather, which is only about snow, they feel like that they've actually took the time, the effort, and the energy to dig out their car. By the way, their car being their car. And they feel like they've spent all this time, all this energy, that why should somebody else come into that spot after you they cleaned it out, their car? Um, right. So that's pretty much the rationale. Right. And the thing that always gets me, it's always gotten me all the time, is the fact that people become absolute degenerate loser dirtbags. What they do is, you know, they threaten your car, they'll key your car. And you know, people have done it. You know, they'll mess with your car. If you, if you take their chair out of their spot, which they own, by the way, with the city of Carney, the city of you know, Woodridge, the city of, uh, you know, Ridgewood, the city of Woodbridge, whatever, any city you can think about, because, you know, you're legally entitled to a spot. Once your car parks, it actually becomes your physical property, and it's registered with the city, and you get a certificate of authenticity, just like you do when you, you know, buy one of those, like, constellations and stuff in the sky, which I think is a whole scam, by the way. But anyway, 
Uh, so, you know, people go over the top. They go overboard. They go scum over this whole thing because I spend so much time and I spend so much time and I spend, you know, you have the exaggeration, spend six hours. Nobody in the world spends six hours or or even four hours, sir, um, digging out a car. It's it's just utterly ridiculous. How long did you spend digging out your car? <laughs> uh, yeah, about five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on, what do, you, what do you mean five minutes? All I could say was that the wind was so whipping up here because I'm a little bit higher uh, in Woodridge, it's you know the wind was whipping so much that only half the car was actually covered with snow. So it literally took me about five minutes to clean it off. Well, all right. So some people say hours and hours and hours are straight up degenerates, right? But see, here's the thing, and they'll say, "How can you?" You know, I had all these comments on my Facebook page, and I don't want to call people out and embarrass them, humiliate you know, and publicly humiliate them and ruin their lives and, and everything. But the thing is that they talk about how they spend so much time. First of all, it's your car. Who the hell else is going to dig out your car if you're not going to dig it out? It's your job. It's your responsibility. You're supposed to do it. If you don't dig out your car, you can't use your car. So that whole nonsense of, well, you know, I spent all this time and I, and I did this and I did that. You know, uh, it, it, somebody comes take my spot. That's messed up. All right, first of all, time out. So basically the entire premise of this whole argument is that you – spend hours and hours, days even, maybe months, I don't even know, maybe it takes you an entire year to dig out your car, so by the time you finish, it snows again, right? So, if, hypothetically, I'd never do this, by the way, but in theory, if I wanted to be a good Samaritan, and I went out, and I dug out all of my neighbor's cars, does that then legally, and I mean legally in a court of law, entitle me to ownership of all of their parking spots? Because the, because the argument is that it's your time, your effort, you dug yourself out, so if I dig you out, can I take your spot? No. That's what I want to know. And that that's yeah, the, exactly. the uh, ultimate super kick to the face, don't go through through six chairs, rock bottom through a flaming table filled with thumbtacks. That's the ultimate finisher. There's no way, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can't get around it. If I dig out your spot, I own your spot, therefore I can take your spot. That's the stupidest thing. People get so dumb over this, and I put it on Facebook knowing that it was going to, um, knowing that it was going to bring this whole controversy and this whole stupidity I just love to read what people write because it's it's complete nonsense, eh? complete and utter nonsense. You're right. You're right. And um, uh, you you couldn't have said it any better my, uh, yourself, because <laughs> the fact I is, just said it. The, the fact is we've talked about people feeling entitled, and for the most part, it's you know you you have your I don't want to get into a political view, but you know you have your your democratic view of being people feeling entitled. Probably what's wrong with this country these days is people feeling entitled. They, One they of the feel many like things. They, yeah, they feel like the government should give them stuff instead of them actually going out and making a living, you know, getting a job. So with that rant, I mean, you talk about the garbage, you talk about the filth that we have in this society, and then you talk about us that actually um, contribute to the filth in society when you talk about the world of wrestling. <laughs> Of course, because. what a great segue, by the way. No comments, no, no, nothing, you know, no comments, no reaction to what I just said. Just, yeah, people are still. So anyway, moving on, I just, it just irks me, it drives me nuts. I think it's pathetic, I think it's ridiculous, and I think people the hell up, and they need to realize that, that the street doesn't belong to them, the spot doesn't belong to them, and I'm done. Getting back to wrestling, Phil scum garbage, continue. Yeah, I mean, I, the reason why I didn't comment on it is because I totally agree with you, and um, I, I can't relate anyway. I don't, I don't really park on the street, and just, just remember, folks, when there's opposite side parking, you know, alternate side parking, and the cops will give you a ticket for not moving your car, 
then what are you going to say? I mean, you're not going to say like this was my spot two days ago when there was snow. No, you're not going. You're going to move your car. So Dave's absolutely right. And like I said, I mean, Dave doesn't like to admit this, but I do. I've come to the realization that I'm like a, a crack addict in terms of wrestling. Dave actually um, is a crack addict, but just hiding in the closet because, you know, I saw Monday morning after uh, coming home from a, a brutal trip from Yale in Connecticut picking up my wife, that uh, Mr. David Gomez wanted um, to watch the Royal Rumble and was begging, pleading, and um, basically crying like a, over, like, you know, like, like a dog, begging like a dog. <laughs> like a dog. Like you need, like, crack, you know, you need the bad crack. You're like, Joe, I need the login. Give me the crack. Give me the crack. I need the crack. And, it's so and bad were you that satisfied? I actually went out of my way. Folks, just, just to cut you off, it's so okay. bad that I went out of my way to go and sign up for another three months of uh, WWE Network <laughs> just, so just so that I could watch this garbage, which, by the way, which is actually kind of awesome because I get to watch the next terrible pay-per-view, which is Fastlane, and then I can cancel my order and not have to pay for it. So I pretty much get two for the price of none. Just wanted to throw that out there, but uh, continue, sir, please. Is that a gimmick that people still could do? Like, can you literally cancel it without paying and then re-up your account again without paying? Like, can you do that again for WrestleMania? Well, I think the way that it works is that um, it's it's kind of tied to the the method that you pay with. So if you have like nine credit cards and like nine different email addresses, I'm pretty sure you could do it. But you know, if you keep doing it the same way, I think eventually Vince is going to get wise and he's going to send Biggie over to your house and uh, you know put a, put a unicorn horn on you. Wait, he'll get wise to that, but he won't get wise to the fact that like uh, there's a same login and same password for. Four different households. I mean, come on, this is so stupid. Well, I, I don't know. That's a whole other side. No, I don't want to sit here and rip the WWE Network because uh, they actually no. have some pretty good content on there. And I was watching WWE 24 before we get to the garbage. I was watching WWE 24. It was about WrestleMania last year, and it was really interesting. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, you, you mentioned networking. Before we get into the garbage, the filth uh, that was the Royal Rumble and Raw last night. Uh, we might as well bring this up because it's actually a nugget of mine. In terms of the network, I agree with you. There's a lot of good content on there, and I don't have enough time to watch it as not, uh, as much as I should, and maybe you do nowadays. But um, honestly, the, the one thing that that the one thing that the network is really lacking is two things: they, they haven't fixed their glitches, and you know the the uh, the oh, live feed always is you, bad. Can I just tell you, sir, that the pay per view? I mean, I was behind on every single match. I was behind on everything in the pay per view. I missed Brock Lesnar getting eliminated completely because he kicked me out, and it would constantly you you know when the the ten nine when the the counter would come on, it would go like ten nine eight seven ten nine, and it would go back four oh, or five geez. seconds. And it did it all the time. Pretty much every single entrant, it would go backwards on, and it really drove me nuts because I was I wanted to watch it, I wanted to enjoy the rumble, and I couldn't. You know, for the most part, other than the fact that it was terrible, was the fact that it just kept kicking me out and then pushing me back in. So it was it was pretty awful. You know, from that aspect, and I can't believe that to this day it still hasn't been fixed because you would think that that's one of the first things they'd want to fix. Yep, that's that's the one thing I think that needs to be addressed, and I don't know. Um, like the who who's actually in charge of the technical side, but that needs to be fixed. And honestly, I, I was telling you this off the air um, in our pre-screen meeting, whatever it is. I was saying that I would watch a lot more content, and I would watch things that I, you know, for nostalgic reasons, I would go back to watch things that I remember, you know, many years ago. If they would only take each program and make it into chapters, almost like a DVD. So in terms of like, if you want to watch a WrestleMania, for example. 
I could get right to the match I want if you actually take the, the pay-per-view itself and put each match as a chapter, for example. Right now, yeah, I feel like... Yeah, it just like takes fast too long forwarding. to fast-forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It takes way too long. Yeah, if they did that, I think they'd get a lot more viewership, and I would actually promote that. I would tell people that sign up for a network, it's $10 a month, you get every pay-per-view, and you can actually get to right to the match you want to see or right to the segment you want to see without fast-forwarding, because the, the way you fast-forward uh, on your Roku or whatever device you're watching it on, it's really not efficient, and people will get bored of it real fast, and they'll get tired of doing it. So if you, if you I agree, it's things, not efficient. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So t- those two things, if you fix those two things, um, I think that you'd get a lot more people signing up for the network, to be honest with you. You probably wouldn't, but it definitely for those who have already signed up, I think it would be worth it. I mean, it's, it's not expensive. You can't, you know, it's just, it's kind of time-consuming to just trying to sit there and look for stuff and find stuff. I will say this much, the Edge and Christian show that they're going to be coming out with actually looks pretty funny, so I just wanted to throw that out there, sir. <laughs> it, uh, it actually does. It reminds me of a old-time British-type comedy um, I don't know if you ever watched the Benny Hill show. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me yes. of that kind of slapstick humor. So um, I, I think they've done that. a good job with that. Yeah, I, I think they've done a good job with that. And I definitely want to catch their first episode, which is coming up, I think, right after the next pay-per-view, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, you know, we're on the road to WrestleMania, and our second pay-per-view, second favorite pay-per-view of the, of the year is the Royal Rumble usually. But... Because of injuries to the certain main main guys on the roster, and because I think we pretty much knew what was going to happen at the Royal Rumble, I feel like it fell totally flat in these three ways. I feel like we kind of knew that Triple H was going to be in it as the number 30 entrant. I think we knew that Brock, um, that uh, Roman Reigns wasn't going to actually win and keep the title. I felt that way. I didn't think he was going to – this whole one versus all and him being number one, I didn't think there was a chance that he was going to win it. So that, I thought that was too predictable. And I just didn't what, like the finish. Out. Go ahead. Yeah. You didn't actually watch the whole paper you said, right, because you only watched some of it? Right. Oh, did you read I'm reading results. I wanted to, all right, I wanted to get into that because um, Reigns gets taken up by the League of Nations, right? And, you know, obviously I'm thinking there's no way this guy wins. Him winning would have actually been a surprise and maybe a better booking decision. We'll get into that later. He gets trashed by the League of Nations. He gets taken out, and he walks out under his own power. So, of course, he has to come back in like 20 minutes later. But the timing of it was interesting to me because he Roman came back into the match after Brock Lesnar, Kane, Big Show, all these guys, the Wyatt family, all these big name, you know, big type of guys had all been eliminated. So he was pretty much in there with a bunch of nobodies for the most part. Yep. I thought it was interesting because he, he came back at like the perfect time. So you have that all happen, and you have Triple H, which, again, another problem with this whole storyline is that, you know, he represents the authority. Now he has the title. Whoa, what was that? Sorry, what? <laughs> what? What? He's the now 14 time, you know, WWE World Heavyweight Champion. And I don't know, sir, I, it's pretty bad in terms of storyline booking because um, you could break down the Royal Rumble better than I can because I only and read uh, results on online onslaught. <laughs> I love that, by the uh, way, just, that you didn't even watch it. You were telling me to come. This guy, folks, this is the type of degenerate this, this man is. He tells yeah, me, bad. hey, you know, why don't you come over? Let's watch the Royal Rumble. Boom. I said, all right, cool. Then he goes, well, you know, the, the, all the championship games, the NFC and the AFC championship games are on, so I'm going to watch them first, and then I'll watch the Rumble like around 11 o'clock at night. I'm thinking, I'm not going to this pool house at 11 o'clock at night, getting home at 2 in the morning watching the Royal Rumble. So I did my scams or whatever. Anyway, so then he, he goes on this trip. I don't hear from him for hours. I, I, I think he's dead, first of all. I think something happens to Joe. I haven't heard from him 
Because Joe is the type who will text you back in five minutes no matter what. Joe could be at, like, you know, at a wake and he'll text you back. But this guy, I don't hear from him for hours, for days even. I finally hear back from him. He allegedly goes on this alleged supposed trip to pick up his alleged wife, allegedly in <laughs> Yale, allegedly, allegedly in Connecticut, quote-unquote. I think Joe was out there, uh, you know, getting a little, a, a little powdery stuff in his nose, if you know what I mean. And I'm not talking snow. Woo! But anyway, oh so... This guy goes out there. That's right. He's sniffing snow, yellow snow. So anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I'm wondering, man, this, you know, we're going to watch the Rumble. I'm kind of excited, but then I think, nah, hell no, I'm not going there at midnight. My point is that he rants and raves, and this jerk, this absolute jerk of a human being, doesn't even watch the damn pay-per-view at the end of it all. After all this hype, after all this crap, doesn't even watch the, the, the pay-per-view. Somebody explain that to me, please. Well, you know, me. How is that even possible? <laughs> I think the snowstorm really uh, really threw a big monkey wrench into it, to be honest with you. I mean, she was supposed to actually be taken down from bus from Yale, and uh, when, when buses weren't able to get to a certain university, then, uh, you know, they had to call on the big guns, and unfortunately that is me. So uh, I did not get to of see course. the pay-per-view. I didn't, I didn't care for the pay-per-view. I had to get my wife home safe. And let me tell you, <laughs> it wasn't fun. What a degenerate. I'd rather be watching wrestling, crap wrestling, even though it was crap um but honestly, I mean, the best way I could sum up Raw from last night was horrendous because all I know is that they come on to the show, they start the show, and I want your whole take on the Rumble and, and last night, but I'll just give you my take quickly because I know we're we're running up to a guest here and we could talk about better stuff after this, is the fact that they, they actually come out and they, in their storylines, whoever these monkey writers are, they say that they're evaluating talent and they're going to determine who the number one contender is at the next pay-per-view. And somehow... Brock Lesnar or Paul Heyman are not on the show at all without any rhyme or reason. And the main event is announced for Fastlane that it's going to be Roman Reigns, which I guess you could put him in it because it's a, no. he was the champion. He's, no there's sense. a rematch. No. Well, follow my logic here. no sense. All right, follow, follow my logic. Dean Ambrose, who was like uh, in there in the finals against Triple H, and all of a sudden Ambrose, the third person... Like, in this, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Dean yeah. Ambrose, who looked like a strung out crack whore, by the way. Guy looks absolutely <laughs> horrible shape. Dean Ambrose looks like a complete... He would have been a great, you know, guy to carry the bags of DX back in the day, because that's what he looks like, a degenerate. Continue. Well, anyway, he somehow made it to the finals of the Royal Rumble against Triple H, and okay, if that... Yeah, if you're, I, I don't even understand logical that sense, decision. Yeah, if we're following logical sense, he deserves to be in this match at Fastlane, but explain to me, sir... Explain to me how bad the Royal Rumble was first, and then explain how Brock Lesnar somehow makes it into the triple threat after they're evaluating talent last night to determine who should defend, uh, who should fight Triple H at WrestleMania. Well, the thing is, there's so many plot holes, I almost don't even know where to begin. First of all, you said it just a minute ago. The whole purpose of this, the the Rumble situation was to screw Roman Reigns. They spent the whole 20-minute opening promo, monologue, whatever you want to call it, talking about how they screwed Roman Reigns. Somehow, continuity error number one, he ends up in... Roman Reigns ends up in the match again to be the number one contender. If they really wanted to screw him, they would have kept him out. You know, at least for now, and then maybe had him somehow get a board for... You know, get the decision overridden by the board of directors or whatever the case is. I don't know, some sort of thing to grant him a title shot makes absolutely no sense that the guy they're trying to quote-unquote screw, quote-unquote, they put him in there. Dean Ambrose, yeah, he was the last guy eliminated. It makes sense. 
although I still don't understand why they eliminated him first. You know, really, I, I mean, last, I think he should have been eliminated, then Reigns should have been the last one. But anyway, aside from that, you you move on from that. Then you got the whole, you got the whole evaluating talent thing. And yeah, they pick a guy who wasn't even there. It doesn't even make they pick Brock Lesnar. Brock got screwed at the Rumble. I don't understand what the hell they were doing. I guess just so that he wouldn't have to go up against Triple H or Roman Reigns. And then you're going to put him in the match? He wasn't even there. And somehow The Rock would have had more claim to be the number, to be a contender in this match than Rome, than uh, Brock Lesnar. It made absolutely no sense. There's so many different plot holes. And I just covered a couple of them. I mean, it's just typical WWE, but it's typical crap, to be honest with you. So last year, Brock Lesnar actually loses the strap uh, at WrestleMania when Seth Rollins cashes in. The next night on Raw, he's like a man on fire, and he's like, you know, held fire and brimstone or whatever you want to call it. He's taking out people. He's taking out Michael Cole. He's taking out the cameraman. This year, he gets screwed out at the Royal Rumble by the Wyatt family. The Wyatt show up on Raw. Awful. You expect Brock, Awful, you expect Brock Lesnar. That was the worst part of the ex- Rumble, which I missed, by the way, because the WWE never kicked me out. Yeah, and, like, the guy, I mean, if anything, uh, if you want to make that story, if you want to sell that story to the crackheads like me and Dave, you have you have Brock Lesnar get eliminated, but you have him being pissed off. You don't have him just walk away and say, oh, well, I just got eliminated by the Wyatt family. The guy wanted his title back that he's been searching for for a whole year. He wants the title back. He should have went into the ring. There's nothing said. There's nothing that is illegal about it because everything goes. He should have just took out everybody that was left in that ring after that and just F5'd everybody until, like, there was nobody left in the ring and just left, like, all bodies on the floor and then walked out. He didn't even show of up last night. Right. Like, he's his... a face. Sir. He's a quote-unquote face now. Faces don't do that. I totally agree with you. The booking decisions in the WWE make no sense. And here, booking loophole number four. I thought about this this morning. Don't ask me why. I'm getting ready for, you know, it's a jury duty, and I'm thinking about the WWE. Triple H essentially has won this title. He's, you know, without pinning anybody, 14th title reign, hopefully his last title reign ever. He's not going to defend it. He's not even going to wrestle in a match as champion, and then he's going to lose it at WrestleMania to Roman Reigns. So what's the point of a two-month title reign? We don't even defend it. Can can it even be called a legitimate title reign if you don't even defend the damn belt? <laughs> how, how does that make any sense? I mean, you're I mean, right. The, the, you know, you know, the, this is exactly how how I feel about that. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Go to hell! I like turtles. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, uh, is that all? Last year, Triple H. Last year, Triple H actually uh, was in a match against Sting, and I thought that was going to be a decent match. It turned out to be a crap fest, obviously, with run-ins by DX obviously and NWO. But now, maybe. oh, but now you have WrestleMania at 32, sir, and you have Triple H. You have Triple H defending the title, sir. Yeah, sir. Yeah, sir. I did that the other day to my wife, and she loved it. And I said, obviously, definitely, maybe. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about last year's booking decision with Sting. Because Sting losing to Triple H was an absolute aberration and a disgrace. And it's funny because I, I watched so little of wrestling that I had to do research to find out that Sting actually won two matches on Raw, but he's yet to win a pay-per-view. The man's going to go into his Hall of Fame 2-2, two and two, his all-time record in the WWE. But anyway, sir, continue. All right. I just – for Triple H now to main event WrestleMania 32 when he's the authority figure as well, and he's going to, he's going to be in the main event – like you say, he's not going to actually defend the title. He's just going to wrestle one more time, probably at WrestleMania. 
and dropped the strap because it makes no sense if he actually held onto the strap at WrestleMania. I don't think they're going to – I mean, we've talked about this. This is pretty obviously, definitely, maybe. Um, the fact that they're not going to put 90000 in the in the seat in uh, Dallas for WrestleMania 32. I think they'll be lucky to get 85000 at this point. I don't think Triple H main eventing will actually sell tickets. I agree. I, I think – honestly, I think WrestleMania – it's 32, by the way, right? I think WrestleMania 30, 32 yeah. is going to be awful. The matches – the card looks like it's going to be terrible. Brock Lesnar is not going to be in the main event. Whoever he's fighting against, I, I don't even care him against Bray Wyatt. Couldn't care less. Him against the entire Wyatt family in a gauntlet. Couldn't care less. Kane, don't care what he's doing. Don't know what Big Show's doing. Don't even care. Triple H against Roman Reigns for the title, no interest. AJ Styles mid-carding against Jericho or somebody. I mean, that'll be a good match, if nothing else. We'll get into AJ in a minute. That's that's the only highlight of the Rumble, by the way, was AJ Styles appearing. Even though there's some sort of weird thing, and he continued the trend last night where he can't seem to, he hasn't hit his finisher yet. He teased it about seven different times and still hasn't hit it, which I don't even know what the hell that's about. But side note from that sidebar, um, there's so many different things wrong with the product. It just I look at WrestleMania. I have no interest. There's nothing I can think of that says, wow, this is going to be a good match. This is going to be a compelling match. I can't think of one good reason. I mean, everyone's injured, granted, but I, I don't know, Sammy. You tell me. Tell me why the most entertainment segment of last night was The Rock, and tell me why the WWE feels like they need to actually put their their second most entertainment segment, The New Day, and actually uh, interfere with a pretty funny Rock like, the whole Rock setup last night was hilarious, I thought, with him talking to people in the backstage and the way he was actually talking to them. I thought that was actually really funny. And then when he got well, to the you New Day, I feel really like... Funny. You would think it's really funny, first of all, because you're a degenerate. And second of all, if you, you really know, think about the Rock's promo, he is so not PG, so not PC. I don't even understand. And really, I, I think he's funny, but to me it's a throwback to the Attitude Era in, in a negative way. And he's got a lot of heat over this and stuff that he said. But, you know, the sexual innuendos, the, the homophobia, his jokes are basically both borderline homophobic whenever it comes to men. And people think it's great. They think it's hilarious. We don't live in that society anymore. But the fact that he even went so far as to point out those four guys one of them dressed like Hulk Hogan and had Hulk Hogan's name mentioned on WWE television. We all know Hulk Hogan doesn't exist. And a phantom body slammed Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three and held the belt for four years, et cetera, et cetera. A six-time WWF champion. The point is that, yes, and I said WWF, all this stuff, he just pretty much went completely off script and did script and did whatever the hell he wanted, and everybody thinks this is the greatest thing in the world. But it's funny because it's totally not PG. Totally not. Uh, but it was still funny. I mean, I, I actually liked the segment. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but, but think about the society that we live in. And why is there a double standard where what The Rock says is funny, but other people do certain things, and it's like, no, they're stupid, they're racist, I hate them. Just go to hell. Right. <laughs> Shame on you! Rock. There was I a mean, question in there, by the way, just so you know. A question aimed directly at you, so I don't know if you're going to answer it or, or what's going to happen here. I just want to throw that out there. Go ahead, ask the question one more time. No, forget it. You're, you're scum. Just forget it. <laughs> so, so Raw was pretty bad last night. Um, the the Awful. direction that the WWE takes. Raw was so bad that once I saw AJ wrestle and I saw the Rock promo, I turned it off. No interest in the main event. I read online, you know, the whole the thing we already talked about was Brock, who wasn't even there, named to the main event. I mean, it's just a terrible show overall. I, I don't even know what the hell I was thinking of, of watching it, sir. So now you've hijacked the WWE title 
for what 68 days because I think it's like 68 days till WrestleMania. Triple H has the no title. You're not you're not going to see the belt uh, defended until then, and then when it is defended, he'll probably drop it at that point, and then they'll continue the storyline of the Authority versus whoever the baby faces. Um, I really don't think we should see it, but I think we're building towards it. Somehow Roman Reigns is going to end up, I don't know, pinning Dean Ambrose, I guess, at the Fastlane pay-per-view, which is coming up. And um, uh, I, I guess he's going to take on AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title, you think? Um, possible. I mean, that would be interesting, but I think his feud with uh, Kevin Owens will probably continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I their mean, feud has been... Look at what they do with AJ Styles. Sir. AJ Styles on SmackDown, the spoilers are out, he wrestles Curtis Axel. How does that even happen? How, How does he happen, sir, but... you, you signed this guy, the hottest free agent on the planet. Love AJ Styles. Although I have to admit, he looks like a, I don't know, I can't even say, he looks like a woman wearing a bad wig. That, that hair is awful. It's absolutely terrible. Looks like he went to the hair about... salon and they gave, what? You, no, I was going to say, you talk about the hottest free agent, and that's the person that we need to talk about because we get, we got to get off the car act, got to get off the garbage. we got to get with our guest who's on the uh, line, sir. So do the intro. Let's get to it. Let's talk about the real... Deal. Let's talk about Mr. Yo-Yo Cespedes. Wait, hold on. So you mentioned you wanted to do this just because Flips is going to be on there. I think this is one of the promos, but let me see if this is it. Coming to you live from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, this is Pure Gold with your host, David and Joe. Folks, we are joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, straight from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, and I am trying to get him on. Shame here. on you! <laughs> the one and only James Flippin, who was our producer for like two shows like three years ago. James Flips, how are you doing, sir? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, is it now, so it's not just Dave tonight. We got Dave and Joe. Oh, oh yeah, no, Joe. No, un- unfortunately, unfortunately, Joe's on the air, but uh, yeah, gotta, that's all right. That's guy, all right. How you doing, Joe? Good, sir. How are you? I'm good. And Dave, Dave, uh, good to talk to you as well. Uh, beyond just oh, Facebook, yeah. No, but it's funny, man. I was actually wondering if you were going to mention the uh, the the brief producer credit I have. Um, oh, you know, of we course, tried, of man. <laughs> we we tried we tried to make it a more formal. Uh, uh, thing there with NPR Radio once upon a time, but you know uh, listen, the best way to play the man, as they say. Listen, I got to tell you, those two episodes were probably the best produced shows we've ever had in our history. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw it out there. Uh, yeah. but listen, uh, let, let, let's get to business here. You know, we got the pleasantries out of the way. We're all business now. We were just talking about free agency and wrestling and stuff like that. I went on a whole like twenty minute rant about the whole parking situation. We can talk about that later, but. The main event, the main reason that we're here, the only reason we're doing this show, as a matter of fact, the New York Mets, the three of us have been lifelong, long-suffering, degenerate Mets fans, and finally, I want to get your take on this. I know Joe's take, but finally the Mets do something, you know, that really set the world on fire. Last Friday they made a deal, and they made it official today, to bring back the one and only, the greatest, you know, Met of the past, what, six months, uh, the man, the myth, legend, Ioannis Cespedes. Give us your take on that. So first of all, did you think the Mets were ever going to do it? And second of all, your take just in general on the whole deal and everything. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is I didn't expect him to be back in the Mets uniform when he was doing the most damage to the Mets. You know, back when he was repping things up in August and hitting a home run, it seemed like every single game and, uh, 
you know, really carrying the team to their first divisional crown in, um, you know, 10 years, I thought to myself, all right, you know what? It was a great time to have him as a Met. He looked good in the orange and blue, the yellow arm sleeve. It was an exciting course, period. It was something that, you know, kind of sticks in your Mets fan memory as one of the great trade deadline acquisitions ever. And, you know, uh, it was what it was. So I didn't expect that he'd be back when the season was going on. And then when it ended, and around that time they negotiated that they were going to remove that uh, special aspect of his contract that stipulated that you had to release him five days after the World Series if you didn't resign him in that time, I said, okay, well, you know what? At the very least, he'll be in the running to compete for his services. And then as things played out over the course of the offseason, and, you know, I think you're starting to see some of these teams being a little more averse to the long-term contracts, obviously not with the pitching with uh, Zach Renke, and, you know, obviously a guy like Jason Hayward gets a big deal. But, you know, a guy like Yohannes Cespedes, 30 years old, you know, how many more years is he going to have at a really high level? And you're talking about paying a guy $20 million a year. It was when the contracts started to not fly as quickly and as lucratively as we expected, I started to say, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's a situation where on a short-term deal with an opt-out and a right, big right. funny number uh, in the first year or two years or something like that. So I said, you know, maybe, maybe. And then you started to hear stuff about the Orioles, and then you started to hear stuff about the White Sox, and then you started to hear stuff about the Angels. And I said to myself, all right, you know what? At this point, they're definitely going to get priced out. He's going to go somewhere and can play designated hitter. He's going to go somewhere um, where he's, you know, uh, maybe the team is not as encumbered by finances and you start to believe what you read with the Nets and their money problems and all this kind of stuff. But then when the Nationals thing kicked in, on the sneak, guys, I got to tell you, on the sneak was when I started to say, huh, something about this is a little bit fishy. And the fact <laughs> that the Nationals were so aggressive in pursuing him, and, you know, maybe we know the way games are played in the media and all this kind of stuff, I have no doubt that the Nationals were interested in Yohannes Cespedes. I have no doubt that they would have figured out a way to play him in the outfield, whether it's trading, uh, you know, Jason Worth for pennies on the dollar, or if they figured out a way to, you know, maybe move Michael Taylor, or, or you know, whatever it may be. They would have figured out a way to play him, um, Ben Revere, et cetera, et cetera. But I just said to myself, you know what, something about this doesn't smell right. Then he had the $100 million deal over the course right. of a couple of days that was basically on the table. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then when it broke on Friday, I said, wow, that's just – that's really amazing. Now, I guess he took money, you know, on such an annual average basis that, that he's really – he didn't leave that much money on the table by not going to the Nationals. But in a roundabout way, I went from no way it's happening during the regular season to maybe when they, when they negotiated that during the playoffs, to, okay, definitely not going to happen, then back to maybe, and to have him now in the fold definitely. completely changes the team. I mean, it just completely changes the lineup in the team, and it's amazing. Yeah, it truly is. And the contract that the Orioles threw out at him was just absolutely putrid. And, you know, I think from there, things got interesting when the, the Nationals threw out that five for 100, and he was just, you know, sitting on it. And it seemed like he was waiting – and it looked like this is what he was doing. He was waiting for the Mets to come back with some kind of offer. 
and I think me and David talked about this for a couple of weeks now. We didn't want this guy long term because uh, I don't think you want this guy here past three or four years because you know what's going to happen with him. He's just going to get lazy. He's going to he's going to do what he's going to do that he <laughs> what he did basically in the World Series, which I didn't think he carried the team at all. He just stunk it up. So the fact that he does resign with the Mets, do you, do you feel like it was the pressure of the Met fan base calling in and all the media and all that saying? You know, you lost Daniel Murphy to the Nationals. If you lose Cespedes to the to, to the Nationals, then the the Mets are going to hang their hat on getting Neil Walker and some guy named Bastardo. And I was going to just you know use the Bastardo name the whole year when we were talking about Mets. But now that they got Cespedes, it's it's funny that I, I feel like the coupons. I mean, the Wilpons finally listened, and uh, you know it's going to be the 30 year anniversary of 1986 when I was nine years old. I think they finally woke up. It's it, now this is the time to win it all. This is the time. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that the the fan pressure, it's impossible for them not to have been aware of how the fan base felt about it and how they were reacting to it. Anytime they put anything on Twitter, um, the you know first 10 to 15, if not 20, responses on Twitter were signed Cespedes, 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 Cespedes. So, you know, the fan base has been very, um, you know, it's always been passionate, but it's been reinvigorated by the World Series run by the by the pennant. Um, you know, the fact that they were the NL champs, and they had a lot of goodwill going into the off season that definitely would have been lost had they lost out on Cespedes, not just to anybody, but the Nationals for sure. However, that all being said, I got to be honest with you. I think that the Sandy Alderson regime, when it comes to the Mets, has not been very responsive to so-called fan pressure. You know, last offseason there was the billboard campaign and this notion that they're not spending enough money and, you know, they didn't really go out there and then chase anybody down. You want to go back a few years to Michael Bourne when a lot of Mets fans wanted them to sign Michael Bourne and he ended up in Cleveland and everybody said, what are you doing? How do you not get that guy? You know, they didn't Thank seem God too they bothered by it. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I think that the difference here – was the fact that he was going to end up in the Nationals potentially, that would have been devastating, not just from a PR standpoint, but really from a balance of power standpoint too. I mean, you're talking about then a situation where the Nationals can more or less slug their way uh, to prominence, and then you figure in Scherzer and Strasburg and, and Geo, and, you know, you hope Tanner Roark and Ross and all these guys can pitch well enough for them. But at this point, you know, that notion of it is gone, the fan base seems very happy. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was kind of like a hidden bonus to a certain extent by being able to get Yolanda Cespedes with a number and a number of years that they were comfortable with. They also brought back a lot of that goodwill that they got from going to the World Series last year, which would have been completely gone and completely destroyed, um, rightly or wrongly, but, you know, with some with some fairness to it, uh, had Cespedes signed with the Nationals. Well, the thing about it is when you really look at the way that Sandy Olsen has run this team, it's it's been interesting to say the least. Um, you know, I was always a big fan of Omar Minaya. Omar made some great moves, as we all know, made some terrible ones as well. But I felt like up until the trade deadline of last year, uh, yeah, technically last year, the 2015 season, Sandy really did – he really wasn't doing much. He didn't really have a great – run as the GM of this team. But then you go out, you get a Kelly Johnson, you get a, you know, Juan Uribe, Tyler Clipper, guys who really did contribute to the team and started to help turn things around. And then 
the Gomez deal fell through, which I know there was a big uproar over that. Another, thank God, that happened because Mets get Gomez. There's no way they go to the World Series. I mean, obviously they would have made it to the playoffs, but they probably would have been out first or second round. Um, and that doesn't happen. They get Cespedes, which, of course, reinvigorated the fan base because we were all excited about it. And then, ironically, bringing Cespedes back again reinvigorates the fan base. And the fans, of course, are, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember when they signed Bastardo. They made it official on Friday. I was all over them. You know, I, I don't know how many tweets they sent out to the Mets to the Mets Twitter saying, how is it that you know, the fans are here clamoring for Yohan Cespedes and you're talking about that you signed Antonio Bastardo? Really? Nobody cares about this. You know, the, the, the one of the funnier uh, comments was, you know, that's not Yohan Cespedes. <laughs> it was like, oh, the Mets signed, you know, Antonio Bastardo. And the guy's like, that's not Yohan and the thing is that the fan base was really angry. And, again, you know, you can go over the semantics of the deal. I think it's a really good deal. I think giving him a lot of money over one year technically. And worst-case scenario in the Mets' standpoint is that if he stays the three years, it's still only three years. By the time he's done, he's going to be, what, 33? And he can still go out and sign another contract. At this point, he goes out there, has an amazing season, essentially playing for his, you know, contract again, you know, is going to obviously motivate him. Guys tend to have, you know, walk years, and they have these amazing years and walk years, but Cespedes brings such legitimacy to the Mets team. If you remove him from the lineup, I love Michael Conforto. I think he's going to be a really good player for a long time, but he loses a little bit there. If David Wright, who's coming off the final stenosis, he loses. Duda, who I hate with a passion, but that's a whole other side story. Guy is as streaky as can be. You look at that team up and down, up and down that lineup, it's it's an okay lineup, but when you add a Cespedes in there, you've already seen what he can do. You see the impact he could have on the Mets. He has had on the Mets. This isn't like a maybe. This is a definite. You've seen this, this in a short period of time, this proven track record. He makes right better because he gives protection. He provides protection for Neil Walker, for Curtis Granderson, for Lucas Duda, for Michael Conforto, for Travis Darno. All these guys get better exponentially because of the guy you put in the middle of the order. And I think this definite must move. You know, uh, Joe mentioned the contract he had with the Nationals. I mean, there was that terrible uh, contract, five years, $90 million, the Orioles supposedly threw out there, which would have been a terrible deal if he took it. You're talking like $17, 18000000 million a year. The five ten, uh, one ten for the Nationals, still not a great offer, but he did technically leave that money on the table. And then when you look at the Mets, I mean, I'm just really excited because it showed us, wow, the Mets are serious. Because, again, up until the trade deadline last year, and, and I don't know if you agree with this, James, but a lot of his deals, his moves were terrible. John Roush, you know, Frank Francisco, the list goes on and on. Just DJ Carrasco, just terrible people that he signed who made no impact on this team were bad contracts. And finally, everything changed with that trade deadline last year. Um, I mean, well, no, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I agree that he had been – bad up until that point. I mean, I, I would actually probably uh, completely disagree with that. I mean, I, I think that you're leaving out the the uh, trade that he made involving R.A. Dickey, obviously, to get oh, Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, key members of the team, me, four members of the team. Uh, the Curtis Granderson me, signing was one that, yeah, you know, uh, was okay. questionable when he came off the injury that he did. Well, you know, hold on a second, because, you know, you wanted me to, to, to share my opinion on it. You know, I, I think that Sandy Alderson put this team in a position to succeed not just for one given year or make a run at it like Omar Minaya did when, you know, he combined his scouting prowess with the open checkbook to try to make a run in the mid-2000s. Um, you know, that was, that was great and that was fun, but it was, it was like a sugar high. You know, they didn't have any structure to the organization. They didn't have any foundation. And what Sandy Alderson has done here is he's built a top-ten farm system 
while taking the teams in the National League pennant, while winning the division, you know, not wrecking their finances. Sure, their payroll's up to 140 now, which is more average, but there's nothing really long-term beyond, say, uh, David Wright. You know, I think that the team's been built um, absolutely the right way, and in the way that you have to build a baseball team with the guaranteed contract, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, Sandy Alderson needed to bleach the system. He needed to get uh, the, the bad contracts out. He needed to get players in. Yeah, the bullpen was a disaster for a couple of years, but, you know, you need to build a bullpen through the minor leagues. That's how you build a good bullpen is through the minor leagues. You don't spend money on those guys for a Roush or a Frank Francisco or a DJ Carrasco, like you said, but on one- or two-year deals. And the risk was minimized. And he's never taken that big risk. And to me, risk aversion and risk management is such a big aspect of Major League Baseball and and the farm system, which I can't say enough about, you know, what he's been able to do in terms of building up this system. And, of course, Dee Podesta and Richardi get a lot of credit for that as well. But, I mean, listen, I know a lot of people agree with you, Steve, that Sandy Alderson really had kind of like, you know, failed up until some of the things he did last year. And, listen, Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, of course, Yolanda Cespedes, those moves changed the season. And, and, they, and they absolutely were, were moves that needed to be made for the team. But by that same token, when he traded Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler, when he traded Marlon Berg for, uh, you know, Dilson Herrera and um, uh, Vic Black, you know, those were moves that were sowing the seeds for future success. So when he made the move to get an Arriba and a Kelly Johnson, it's like, okay, now we're actually going for it. Um, you know, you trade a guy, that, that big prospect, not big prospect, but he's tall. He's actually physically big. He's like 6'7". They trade Neisner um, that they traded to get Tyler Clifford. I mean, you know, that's a prospect that it sucks to lose, and they wouldn't have traded him in previous years, but they needed to get a Tyler Clifford. So I actually think that Sandy Alderson, playing this whole situation as Mets GM, like a fiddle, and the position that they're in as the a franchise right now is extremely enviable. Well, the funny thing is that on a day that we should be actually, you know, together and celebrating the fact that we have Sessions back, we're, we're, we're arguing about semantics and we're arguing about how uh, Sandy Dawson, we're giving him a, a grade on his performance over the last couple of years. The fact is we have Sessions back. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we have Bastardo, which is always a good guy uh, to have with a last name like that. I think the Mets are locked and loaded, obviously, definitely, maybe, to uh, make a run at the title. The, the question is, do they have the intestinal fortitude that the Kansas City Royals had this past year to come back after losing the World Series the year before and come back all the way and win the whole thing? I think the Mets have a legitimate shot with their starting pitching and now they're a really good lineup. They might need to add a, a reliever here and there, and they could do that during the trading deadline. They don't have to make a major move now. They can make a minor move to get a, a reliever. But does the team have the intestinal fortitude to uh, do what the Kansas City Royals did, James? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Joe, and I think that the, the um, you know, drama – that is the season and everything that comes with you, you know, you can't script baseball and you can't really predict it. You know, I, I would have bet dollars to daisies that the nationals were going to win the division last year and that the Mets, you know, I didn't think they were completely out of the picture when it comes to playoffs. I thought they might be a wild card team. I hope that they'd be a wild card team. So yeah, the, the question is, is well founded in that they go to the world series, they lose, um, you know, they're going to have, uh, expectation for sure, but you know it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to to put it behind you and say, oh well, you know we'll get right back there. You know, of course the Royals are the first team to do it, and and I don't even know how long. 
uh, getting back there the year after they lost, and then, of course, winning it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'll be interested to see what this team is like uh, come May. You know, is the team uh, out there taking good at-bats every night? Are they, um, you know, is it Johannes Cespedes going to be a guy that doesn't maybe have that same level of cohesion or focus? Um, you know, was losing out Juan Uribe and even a Kelly Johnson, you know, two veteran guys that really kind of came together as blue guys at the right time, guys who had won in the past, is not having them. You know, all these are question marks. But I'll say this. If, if they avoid two major injuries, to the starting rotation. Um, if they avoid, let's say, even a Harvey, if he has a setback some kind, or, or if Syndergaard, you know, God forbid, has to deal with the whole Tommy John crap, or if uh, Zach Wheeler doesn't come back as early as we expected, or if, you know, Steven Matz goes down. If they have two major injuries to their starting rotation, then we're in trouble. But I think that they can absolutely handle one, I think that even if they don't have the dominant starting pitching that we're expecting with that lineup, they should still be a team that's in the mix for a, for a wild card or, you know, maybe the division, but this is the key. Um, they have the pitching in place. They have high caliber guys, high character guys in key positions. Obviously we know about David Wright. Curtis Branderson is a great leader. Um, a guy like uh, Michael Conforto, uh, says all the right things. You know, tonight on WOR, uh, Pete McCarthy interviewed him, and the guy's just talking about how, oh, you know what, all offseason I've just been so focused on, you know, bringing a championship back. He talked about, he said, I'm going to the gym. I've been doing this in the gym. You know, they, Sandy Alderson is a former Marine. He's an attorney. He really goes for high-caliber, high-quality, high-character guys. And I think that that shows itself in the success they've had, not just the talent, but the ability to put guys in place that expect to win, that want to win, that, you know, dare I say after last year, know how to win, I think they're going to be fine. You know, whether or not they can make that same run through the National League playoff bracket, tough to say. You know, and if I knew, I'd I'd go to Vegas right now and make a bet like this with the Sports Almanac. But, you know, that being said, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be right in the mix. And I think that everything that they've done this offseason, from Neil Walker to Bastardo to Cespedes, has been the look, the feel, the sense of a team that wants to do what they have to do to win a championship. And I don't think they did anything crazy in the meantime to sort of risk their long-term future or mortgage their long-term future. But, you know, can they, can they make it back there? I don't know. Uh, what, what's Terry Collins going to be like managing a team that has expectations from wire to wire that they're going to do something special? You know, that, that's different, obviously, than the past. So, yeah, it's a good question. You know, they're, they're definitely going to be tested from a mental standpoint. Um, everybody's going to be sort of gunning for them. You know, I think that matters a little bit less in baseball than, say, it does in, like, football, for example. But uh, they're, they're going to get guys that, you know, show up every night and they want to beat the National League champions. And the Mets in New York start to get a little more notoriety. They should have good crowds this year for the most part. So, it's tough to look into the crystal ball and say, but I have a pretty good feeling that they're at least not going to fall on their face. And that's the one thing that you absolutely hope is going to be the case. You know, when you have a team that feels like a contender at the front end, you know, just don't, just don't blow it in April, May, and June. And we'll see what happens when we get into the dog days of summer. 
Listen, at the end of the day, I look at this season and I say the Mets are going to be fine because, you know what, if somebody goes, does go down with an injury, Santa can always bring back John Roush or Frank Francisco or one of these guys to be a stock starter. <laughs> so the Mets will be fine, you know, no big deal. Um you know, and, and I know you, you had your assessment on Sandy, and to me, I, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to rehash that, but I look at this team a lot, and, you know, I think Sandy, again, has done a good job more recently. Uh, I was remiss in not mentioning the Ari Dickey trade, but I still look at this team as a lot of what Omar did, and now I see Sandy, after four years, coming and, you know, making his, his real mark and his real impact on the team, so I can't knock him now. And at the end of the day, all I can say is that, you know, if the Mets – start off the season good, it's all gravy. You know, I mean, that's Terry Collins right there. It's all gravy. So whatever the Mets do this year, um, I'm sure we're all going to be tuned in. We're all going to be excited. I think the Mets are going to, bar, again, barring injuries that the Mets seem to always get, um, I do think they'll be fine. And, and what I love about this team more than anything, before I turn it over to Joe, is the fact that the Mets have so much depth. If David Wright goes down, you know, they have guys who can fill in for a while. A Wilmer Flores, you know, as Dribble Cabrera can play third. You know, Walker has played third in the past. You have these guys who can switch positions and, of course, all the depth in the outfield. I think the Mets are deeper than they've, than they've been in years, to be honest with you. So I'm really excited yeah, I, about that aspect of it. I, I, yeah. I agree with you completely. I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that uh, in baseball, um, you know, you, you've always seen teams, whether it's, you know, just look across town with the Yankees. Uh, when they've had deep teams in the past, you know, it's not even just about when the uh, inevitable injury comes, but in some cases it's about guarding against that injury, right? Um, you know, right. David Wright, the obvious case. Uh, you know, how are you going to help him manage that back? You know, Curtis Granderson's not exactly a young guy anymore. Um, you know, uh, Travis Arnault, for example, can't really stay healthy on a consistent basis. You know, That's is Kevin going to get 60 games to play in this year? Is he going to get – you know, how are they going to manage that split between two young catchers that have some upside, especially Darno, of course. So I think that, you know, a, a Wilbur Flores, um, the fact that he can kill lefties, okay, well, you know, Neil Walker doesn't really hit lefties that well. Um, you know, uh, Lucas Duda, obviously, you know, doesn't really hit lefties that well. So um, we're going to have a situation here where if Terry Collins pulls the right strings and makes the right decisions, we really should have a very well-rounded bench and guys that go into August, go into September, relatively healthy, relatively fresh, but it's going to come down to the pitching. And I think that the yeah. one crazy thing about the pitching is you can think till you're blue in the face that you have all this depth. And trust me, I'm with you. The Mets have the depth, and even on the pitching, of course, have it. But that goes away so fast. I mean, so fast. There's always an injury in spring training. Unfortunately, it's usually Tommy John these days. Um, you know they haven't been, they haven't been they haven't been throwing all all winter. If they have been, you know they haven't been throwing up to the same level of intensity. And you know they ratchet it up. It seems like those first five days of pitchers and catchers, something breaks that somebody's getting Tommy John. It sucks. But you know you just hope that doesn't happen. Um, but if they if they have any kind of significant injuries to the starting pitching, of course it's going to be you know back to the last year when we were starved for runs it'll be a little bit of the opposite. And you'll be asking a guy like Rafael Montero to pitch more innings than you wanted to fiddle. And, you know, Bartolo Colon will stay in the starting rotation. And, you know, maybe Zach Wheeler is asked to do a little bit more than you expected him to uh, earlier than you did. And he's not quite back to the full effect of that. So, you know, the one thing that you can't count on is pitching and how quickly that goes. But I absolutely agree with you, Dave. I think their team is extremely deep, versatile, 
And I think that they go into a lot of different situations feeling like, you know what, we have the best roster tonight. And that's not always the be-all or end-all, but it helps. It, definitely. it sure does help. And you know what's funny? If you, if, you, if you get my reference, then you guys are definitely Mets fans. If, if Juan Lagares is caught in a rundown during spring training and the ball hits him in the eye, um, a la Mookie Wilson in 1986, then you know we're going to be in good shape this year, um, just to, <laughs> as an omen. <laughs> but uh, I, I really feel like we, we need to hope that Sandy Olison has a speedy recovery, goes into remission. I feel like his next mission is because this generation is the, the real Generation K. I mean, if we, we think about the real the Generation K that was, um, you know, about t- 10, 20 years ago with uh, Isring Housing, right. Pulsifer, and Wilson, this is the rotation that is the once-in-a-lifetime rotation that every organization dreams about, to have all your people come up at the same time, all these young guns. I feel like the, the next mission of Sandy Olson and the Wilpons will be to somehow maneuver and lock these guys up. And I know you can't lock them all up, and I wish they could, but um, there's no reason why they should be already start developing a plan on um, tearing up these contracts and sign these people for at least another three, four years. I know that they don't have to worry about that right now, but I feel like that's the next thing that they're going to have to start focusing on is evaluating who they want to keep and how much they could throw at these, how much they could throw at these guys, and hopefully retain them. Because, like I said, this rotation could be special. It could be the the Braves rotation of the '90s. Um, it's definitely a rotation that you want to win multiple titles with. I know we'll take one right now. We say that as Mets fans, but. You look at this rotation. I mean, you want to win multiple titles. You want to you want to have a Yankee type run that the Yankees had in the late '90s into the 2000s. Don't you think, Flips? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that you're um, you're thinking about it the right way, which is that this is an incredible opportunity uh, to graduate basically an entire starting rotation of homegrown guys. It just doesn't happen. I mean, you're talking about basically like hitting on the draft in from a quarterback perspective, you know, five years in a row and saying, oh, well, you know, this guy seems pretty good. Let's draft him. And, oh, wow, he can play quarterback in the NFL. You know, it really is It's so difficult to predict if starting pitching is going to stay healthy, you know, if they're going to pick up those secondary pitches. Um, they put a lot of focus during their rebuild, and, boy, do we know how long and painful that rebuild was, you know, on their starting pitching and getting guys in the system that can have high upside arms. And, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, listen. I just want to see them win one in my lifetime. I'm not gonna lie. No, of you know, I was, uh, I, I was, you know, a year old in '86. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've seen the DVDs, I've seen the VHS, I've, I've talked <laughs> to people about it, the beta stuff. But, um, you know, and I was gonna say, you know, if Mookie Wilson's gonna get, gonna get the eye injury, then maybe we could also have like a, uh, you know, do we play Houston in interleague play this year? Because maybe we can get to a oh, ball, yeah. ball with them. Um, you know, have somebody get thrown through a glass window or something, and then they can uh, replicate that aspect of 86. But, no, um, you know, I think that the focus uh, certainly has to be on how can you get this starting pitching under contract. Um, A guy like Harvey, who's a Scott Boris client, it's going to be tough to do that because they don't really believe in buying out the arbitration years uh, most of the time. And, of course, every situation is unique, but uh, that one's going to be tough. You know, Steven Matz and – uh, Cindergard are further away from arbitration than, say, DeGrom is. Uh, you know, I, I certainly think that the priority in that sense has to be locking up DeGrom. You know, I think, and I, I love Harvey, don't get me wrong, and I love yeah. Cindergard, and, you know, Matt has shown a ton uh, even in his short amount of time. 
But I think that DeGrom is the guy that is the quiet, steady ace of the staff. Harvey, uh, 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 very much so ace in his own right. But the sticky aspect of it is the Boris thing. And, you know, listen, I don't have anything against guys making money. I hope that Harvey and the rest of them make a lot of it and, and have a great life. But I think realistically you just have to look at it and say, Harvey being a Boris guy, it's much more likely he's going to go all the way to free agency. Doesn't mean we can't sign him then, but we kind of just have to deal with the arbitration process with him, realize that he's going to start getting more expensive on an annual basis, and we have to be realistic and say, you know what, DeGrom's the guy to go after and try to sign out that year, that, that, that deal, that contract that uh, covers the arbitration year. So that's what I'd like to see them do, um, certainly within the next uh, you know, 12 to 16 months. Listen, yeah, James, uh, you know, should... I... yeah. Go ahead. sorry, sir. Uh, I just wanted to throw this in there before you, you know, you rudely interrupt me as always. Um, I totally agree with you. My preference, if I were to sign one of the two, would be Degrom. I think he's got a, in a sense, I think he's got a better head on uh, Harvey. He's kind of gotten caught up in his own hype. You know, hell of a pitcher, but I do like Jacob better. Um, and I think that if anything, unfortunately, I could see Matt Harvey in the uh, Yankee pinstripes at some point. But I think I, I agree that's the guy you kind of have to go after. And when I look at this season, the one thing I'll say before I turn it over to Joe to wrap this up is I look at the, the potential that they have. And normally you say, oh, if this guy's a career year, if this guy's a career year, the Mets will be fine, which you hear a lot. But but in this case, what I saw from Mets, I loved it, but obviously he needs more seasoning, and he'll get that this year. Syndergaard was awesome. He pitched all these innings. Another year of him would be amazing, and all these guys is more experienced and more experienced. Harvey further removed from Tommy John. I think this this rotation is going to be amazing. Uh, I think, like Joe said, this will be the real Generation K, but I really think that the Mets are going to do something special this year, and uh, I'm hoping that they'll do what the Royals did last year, you know, repeat 30 on the 30-year anniversary. You know, game one of, uh, of the World Series was actually the 30-year anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, of the Royals winning the World Series in 1985. I hope the Mets do the same thing and do a 30-year, you know, reunion type of thing. But, um, Joe, any, uh, any last thoughts? No, I, I agree with all that. And I, I was going to say, James, we could definitely talk uh, for hours about Mets now that the Mets are relevant again, they're good again, and it's good <laughs> to be good. On, on the positive side. But I, I got to say, I, I still do exist, James, and um, I still do the show. And um, now that now that Francesca, I, 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 listen, hey, listen, I see you on uh, I see you on Facebook. I think you're just a little less you're just a little less active than uh, than Dave. You know, maybe a little less exclamation oh, points, a little less uh, typing in all caps. You know, but uh, just a little bit. Okay, I see you. I see you there. Well, yeah. Well, what I was going to suggest is that now that Francesca's retiring in 2017, I think a three man booth. From one to six thirty is a perfect for us. I mean, we could take our show to WFAN. We'll fill in that time slot because I don't think Joe and Evan really could fill that time slot. I think the three of us would no. do a much better job. And uh, you know, I, I, I think we should get that in the works. Hey, listen, man. From your mouth to Mark Turnoff's ears. That's all I. <laughs> there can you say. go. Uh, you know, um, I, I will say that uh, I love Francesa. I consider him one of my. Um, you know, major influences in 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 broadcasting and stuff, and he'll be missed. But, uh, yeah, the, the landscape of the New York radio scene is going to totally change come 2017. And, you know, maybe by then the Mets will have uh, another World Series championship on the mantelpiece. Do you yeah, have tickets? Or, are you, I was going to say, do you have tickets or media credentials to go to that um, reunion on, I believe, March 30th uh, with Francesca and the Mad Dog? You know what? I don't. Um, I do not have it. And, and trust me, I heard from – 
from uh, the sports pulp himself many times. Okay, it's sold out, and you know it's sold out, and uh, we sold out in about 15 minutes. So uh, you know, if you don't have the tickets, you can't go, but you can listen on the radio, and you know. So I would have uh, really enjoyed that. But um, listen, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog. I think that's you know uh, that's something we all grew up with. You know, we all uh, loved those guys together. I just recently watched a YouTube clip of them together. Wait, Mike I mean, and who? Just, no, I know. I never heard of it, Mike and Mike and the Mad Dog. That sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a long time now. It's been a long time now, hasn't it? It's pretty crazy. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to you almost kind of check yourself when you're like, wait a minute, how long ago was that now? But um, no, listen. I mean, he's uh, he's he's been you know so good for so long, and obviously he's an acquired taste. Not everybody likes him. I think that's so true of radio in general. You know, everything's an acquired taste. Uh, you're right there with that person, and they're speaking right to you, but. Um. Yeah, listen, man. Throw us, throw our hat in the ring. Throw our hat in the ring. But I, you know, before we, uh, before I go, guys, I just want to say, you know, originally I commented on uh, Dave's Facebook post tonight, and no, he had said, you know, the thing about the the parking. You know, people are so ridiculous, man. You know, unless you have <laughs> a parking spot on your street, like you know, it happens to be in in some towns, I guess, or maybe you know, gated communities or something, where you have a parking spot on your street that's specifically for you. I, this is bot talk, right? Like I can curse. No, no, don't. <laughs> All right. Well, I know you guys don't like that. I apologize. I'll say, go f yourself to anybody who's trying to say, you know, oh, that's my spot, or I dug this car, you know, because Dave nailed it. You know, the only reason is that there's a spot open there. It's because your stupid car was there covered with snow and ice to begin with. So, you know, the fact that you dug it out, what do you think everybody else did? You think they all, what do you think they just went to the dealership and bought that car and now they're driving down the street like, oh, hey, I'm here now, guys. I have a car. I'm going to park right here. I just got this car. Or maybe they drove here from Tennessee and it's like, oh, well, I need to park my car somewhere. This looks like a great spot. Screw you. I know you, you've dug this out. But come on, give me a break, man. And these people that, that have the audacity to, you know, thankfully I don't live on a street like this or even in a town like this, but i got a lot of friends who've been talking about it. You know, people open up the door and they say, that's our spot. Well, what the hell are you talking about? Excuse me, I apologize for the use of the H-E double hockey stick there, but, you know, like, get out of here. That's not the way, that's not the way municipal roads work, sweetheart. You pay taxes just like I do, you know, and, and we get to park on the street. If there's no such thing, you know, with the trash can or traffic cones, give me a break. What a disgrace. What an absolute No, disgrace. I, I absolutely agree. And the thing, the scary thing is, like, well, in this area, well, at least where, where I live, I know Joe, Joe's, uh, you know, rich and he's in the suburbs, but where I live, I mean, people will key your car. They'll they'll cover your car in snow. I've had, Joe the funny thing is, I've had, Joe? <laughs> not anymore. I've had people that I used to go to church with basically tell me, that if somebody, degenerates, by the way, if somebody were to take their spot, they would cover that car with snow, which is ridiculous and just absolutely disgraceful. But what I was telling Joe before, you missed it before you came on. I went on this whole rant. The whole, the whole uh, crux of their argument is that they spent 6, 12, 15, 18 hours, whatever ridiculous amount of time they want to throw in there, because nobody spends that much time, you know, unless you're taking a nap in your car, nobody spends that much time shoveling their car out. But it's that they spent all this time digging themselves out. So my plan the next time it snows is to dig out all of my neighbors myself and then claim all of their spots for myself so nobody can park there. Just put a bunch of garbage cans, a bunch of seats, and say, hey, listen, I dug your car. 
I did all the work, so it's my spot. And that's the whole thing. And people act like, you know, they did something magical and something amazing by digging out their own car from snow. Like, if you don't do it, who the hell else is going to do it? Otherwise, you're going to – there's people here in my town that they literally – their cars have been buried in snow since Saturday, and they haven't moved it. Like, it's unbelievable. And to me, it's just, it's just such a degenerate time that we live in where people will mess up your car if you take a spot which didn't belong to them in the first place. So when all the snow is done, I mean, do they have that spot ticketed? Is there some sort of, you know, license plate to tell where they're, they're parking? It just it, – what gets me is the fact that people are so passionate about their right. And somebody actually said that to me, who shall remain nameless, their right – to, to park. Like, I'm disrespecting somebody's right because they dug out their car. Like, it just baffles me, the logic. And this is typical lib, liberal, you know, Democrat scum-sucking logic. Oh, of course. It's, oh, of course. I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> oh, I, mean, like, I mean, like, here's here's the thing about it that really, to me, just ends the debate. Not that there ever really was one, but the, the, the discussion becomes completely moot when you look at it from this perspective. Okay. Imagine being in Manhattan on Sunday in Midtown and you're looking for parking and you're desperately looking for parking and, oh, you're looking for parking and all this stuff. And, you know, you finally find a spot and then some guy comes out of his office and he says, hey, that's my spot. You'd say, again, uh, I'm going to avoid any use of bad language, but excuse me, sir, but you can take that and shove it <laughs> because I'm, I'm looking for a parking spot. This one happens to be open and I'm going to park there. Um, you know, similarly... Uh, you know, any other time, if, if you're in some other town or whatever, you know, you're looking for a parking spot and you find one, okay, I'm going to use that parking spot. You know, why, why because snow is on the ground, does it become some sort of different situation where, um, you know, the, the qualifications are, oh, now now it's my spot, I own this spot, uh, because it snowed. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah, it drives me crazy. I'm very passionate about it as well. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, James, we could talk, we, I could talk about this for five. I could turn this into a whole podcast series about degenerates and parking and during the snow. But, uh, you know, we really got to thank you so much for spending so much time talking to us. I mean, really, you know, who needs Joe at this point? Next week, me and you, we just take this. We take over pure gold. Joe can sit home. He can go, you know, shovel his car out, shovel somebody else's car out, whatever he does. <laughs> Shame on you! But listen, again, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And, you know, if I, if I happen to drive by and I see you, uh, you know, putting a chair to save your, your spot, I'll make sure to take it out for you, buddy. I don't want you to go to the dark side. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, thanks, thanks for having me on. And, uh, hey, hey, Joe, you know, don't let this guy get away with that stuff, all right? <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good thanks, night. All right. You too. Have a good one. Take care. Folks. You too. That was the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend. I was going to say Mark Chernoff. <laughs> that was our <laughs> former producer, James Flips. Sarah, that was that, that was pure gold. That was a pure gold spot, I have to admit. Now, are we back in 2013 or something here? What's going on? <laughs> 2013. I think uh, that's when we stopped doing shows regularly, so we're going to be talking about 2011. I don't even remember. Hey, the funny thing is I mentioned our, our former producer, Alex, who was, uh, you know, Interesting to say the least. I remember one time we're sitting in the studio and Alex is drawing pictures of like the sun or, or I don't even know a star, something weird, like pictures and talking about the Undertaker and just randomly interrupting us and talking about things that made no sense. But the funny thing is, I don't even know if you knew this. I don't even know if your friends are Mitch, but Alex has been trying out. He's a knight, if I'm not mistaken. He's a knight at Medieval Times by my house, but um, he's been trying out for American Ninja Warrior and he came within like one number 
of being on the show or something to that effect. So I just want to throw that out there. I mean, he's moved on to bigger, better things while our show has just gotten progressively worse. I think the fact that James uh, still listens to the show is a testament to us uh, six years later. I think that we definitely do put on the best show. I mean, James, who works at CSB, tried to get us on the show, uh, tries to get us on uh, in the studio. Yeah. You know, we didn't even – the funny thing is we didn't even talk about what he does. He works for um, Sirius, and we didn't even – we were so consumed with Mets talk and him, you know, kissing uh, Sandy Alderson's fanny, because I think Sandy's his cousin or uncle or something. Um, Sandy got him box off his seats. We didn't even talk about what he does for a living, so we're definitely going to have him on the show again, sir. Definitely. And uh, since we're up against mm-hmm. it because there's like 36 minutes left before they uh, <laughs> end the show on us, we might as well get on to the next topic, which is the NFL, because this past Sunday was Championship Sunday. You had two two games, one game that was really good in the first game between the Broncos and the Patriots, and the other one was the Arizona Cardinals and the Panthers. And um, I was actually quite surprised on how many times – Brady was actually getting hit in this game, and if you looked, if you watched the game, you saw that the Broncos didn't actually rush the entire off, uh, defense against him. It was a three-man rush, right. and for some reason, the offensive line couldn't actually contain the three-man rush. Von Miller and um, I forget the guy's first name, but Ware were just beasts uh, and just hitting Brady so many times. Demarcus Ware. And you have, Demarcus Ware. That's right. You have those two guys just hammering Brady all day. And uh, a depleted team in the Patriots finally succumbed to the the Denver Broncos. I feel like two things about this game before I turn it over to you is that um, the missed extra point actually turned out to be huge at the end. I mean, you miss an extra point in the the first quarter. It it, it might come back to haunt you. You you try to forget about it. But it actually came back to haunt them in a major way. And the fact that Bill Belichick actually went for it on fourth and one and didn't make it, where they could have kicked a field goal with six minutes left and could have got the ball back. Those two things, I think, turned the game around. And even before that, I feel like the Patriots let the home field advantage slip away when they lost to the Miami Dolphins in Week 17. Um, all they had to do was meet, beat the Miami Dolphins in Week 17, and they would have had home field advantage over the Broncos. And I think, uh, you know, you would have had a different story. And um, now, now the storybook is set for Peyton Manning, who was injured, who was ridiculed, saying he's washed up, he's done, he's, he's, his injuries have finally caught up to him, he's old. I think the storybook now is set, even though he's going to face a tough Carolina Panther team in the Super Bowl, I think the storyline is set for him to actually win the Super Bowl and go out and retire and go into the sunset. Because the guy, the guy honestly, is everything great about sports. He's, he's a great athlete. He's a great uh, ambassador for the game. Um, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the Broncos, only because of Peyton Manning. I don't like the rest of the team. I'm not a Bronco fan. I like Peyton Manning. But, sir, what did you think of the game? And give me your take on um, just Peyton Manning in general. No, I totally agree with you um, 100%. I am definitely a fan of Payton's. I love him. I think the guy's great, one of the best ever. You know, his uh, record speaks for itself. And it's funny because people talk about legacy games. Like, Payton's is not needed to win to cement his legacy. But, I mean, it would be great if he did to be the only man. Well, he's already the only guy in NFL history to lead two teams multiple times to the Super Bowl. Um, Kurt Warner being the first guy to lead multiple teams and now, you know, Payton following him. But, if he wins, he'll be the only guy to ever win a Super Bowl with two different teams. I mean, that would be great. I think that the Denver defense is so good that they have a chance. I mean, people writing them off, and Carolina's already a favorite. Their offense, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, people don't realize that this is the same Carolina Panthers team that almost lost to the Giants, that pretty much almost lost week after week after week and just kind of fell apart and almost lost against the, the uh, Packers. You know, well, no, the Packers, that was the, the Cardinals. 
Um, they almost lost their first playoff uh, game this year. I mean, they just, even with the Seahawks, the Seahawks with that amazing comeback, they just tend to, like, take the fourth quarter off. So there's that possibility of that continuing that trend. You have, again, the great uh, defense for the Broncos. You know, Peyton, who knows, maybe two weeks will give him a rest and he'll be able to kind of make some better throws. I mean, he missed some, some easy throws on Sunday, but it was an amazing game. It was great to see Peyton and his team win. That was definitely a team effort. Um, it was awesome. I absolutely loved every single solitary second of it, sir. Um, huge Peyton Manning fan, my, probably my ultimate favorite football player. Um, and I hope that he uh, he gets the job done, and I hope the team is able to win because it would be an amazing story, sir. Um, you know, I love seeing Brady go down. I love him not winning. I love the fact that they were able to contain him. And, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the facts uh, about the game were that I think Brady took more hits than anyone has taken the entire uh, year in the NFL, sir. Crazy. In that game. And that that is crazy to I didn't know about that, but um and we could definitely talk about more uh they have a, you know, there's a week in between. Um so we could definitely talk about NFL and break down the games a little bit more, but we, we really ran over on time. I just want to end it by saying um the whole fact that the Cavaliers, the Cleveland Cavaliers fired their oh, coach right, when right. <coughs> basically their coach uh Blatt went to the finals his first year last year. And this year was 30 and 11, I believe, when he actually got fired. When yep. I, my dad told me, my dad actually broke the story to me. He told me that he got fired. I was like, wait, you're talking about the Cleveland Cavalier coach that went to the finals and now is in first place in the East, got fired? And I, I just think that's everything that's wrong with sports. I mean, I, I understand you want to appease LeBron James. And make no mistake about it, LeBron James was definitely behind this. I mean, you were not. Oh, of course. You, you know, upper management would the not make this call. The fact that he denies it is what pisses me off. I mean, I know he has to, but it's an absolute joke that he would deny it the way he does. You know like, who LeBron oh, James is? Too. Yeah. LeBron James is Triple H. I mean, the guy goes face, heel, heel, face, face, heel, more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they love him for coming back to Cleveland because, you know, they want him to win a title. But he goes and does something this dumb to say, like, I want to get rid of the coach. All right, if if the coach was not performing, that's one story. But for the fact that he went to the finals and he was he had a depleted team last year, and still took them to the finals, and they lost to a good Golden State team, and this year they were primed and ready to probably make it to the finals again. I just think that's totally wrong. I can't believe that the players run the asylum. The NBA is a total joke. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are a joke. I was actually going to root for the Cleveland Cavaliers this year just because I thought LeBron James was a good guy, but. After this and the whole boycott of the Oscars and making it into a race, racial issue, uh, I don't know. I, I think that society is once again going down the toilet, and this is just a microcosm of just what's going on in society. So I, uh, it's, it's a sad way to end it, but we always usually end it negatively on pure gold. So, sir, uh, I had fun as always, but uh, sorry to end it on a sad note. No, I, well, I don't know about that, but I totally agree with you on all your points there. The fact that um, Blatt got fired the way that he did is absolutely ridiculous and absolute, complete and utter disgrace. I just don't even understand how – first time ever in the NBA history where a coach gets fired while he's in first place. It just doesn't make any sense to me, sir. Um, but, you know, LeBron, typical LeBron, it's it's hard to root for the guy. It really is. And I, I agree with you. I was hoping that he win a title in Cleveland, you know, for the fans and everything and going back to Cleveland. But I don't know, sir. I guess we'll see what happens with the folks. You know, Joe made some great points. Let's go Broncos. We'll talk about it more next week. Great show, sir, as always. We'll, we'll uh, touch up on episode 185 next week, of course. We'll talk more wrestling. Uh, I think we covered it all, sir, as we always do. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again so much to Flips for being a part of the show. Hopefully he'll be back to being our producer because he's not doing anything better. Folks, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yours, of course, 
take it away then, Mike. What's the name of your show? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Speaking of awesome, I've actually been trying to get in touch with Nikki, who's not returning my phone calls to see if we can get her back on the air. But i got to admit, I love, absolutely love this clip. Just to hear uh, the way that his voice, the way that he says it. Oh, in total side note, you know how James was talking about, um, you know, people don't like Mike and he's an acquired taste. My wife absolutely despises Mike Francesa, but I love him just for this right uh, here. What's the name of your show? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. <laughs> Pure Gold. <laughs> yes, Mike. Folks, it's been a pleasure. Yours, of course. We'll see you next week.